Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. everybody. Now, I'm not a great Raptors fan, and nor am I that interested in the NBA matches. It's, I'm quite a boring fellow, isn't it? My enjoyment and my entertainment and my thrill is not the watching the match, but to watch those who are watching the match especially my dear wife. She's seated at the very edge on the bed, of the bed, shouting out names that I don't even know, telling them how to pass the ball and to shoot, especially during the last game with Boston Celtic. Is that the team that they played? Yes. Boy, oh boy, that was really nerve-wracking, not for me, but for my wife. When the game was over and the Raptors lost finally, thanks be to God, I was bombarded with comments on how they should and should not have played. I wonder how they would perform if my, if my wife and people like her are thrown in the court to shoot. It is easy to be a spectator, isn't it? To comment on everything that is going wrong in the field and even suggesting how it should be played. What if you reverse the roles? Same thing happens in churches. We love to be spectators, but how many of us are real players? So as we look into chapter 3, let me begin by presenting a question to all of us. Are you a spectator or a player in the church? Are you a spectator or a player in the church? If you recall, we began the series on the book of Nehemiah by looking at this passionate builder called Nehemiah himself. In chapter 1, we learned that a passionate builder would have a burden for the people. He would have a vision for his purpose and a, com- and a commitment to his purpose. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, and we learned that serving God entails three things. We should learn to wait on the Lord, we should learn to work with people, and we should learn to wrestle with the problems. Now, as one read through chapter 3, the only thing we see is an account of the division of labor in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. At first glance... It is not an easy passage to preach. It is quite a passage, and you wonder why the Holy Spirit inspired Nehemiah to write this detailed record. Why did God include Nehemiah 3 in the Holy Bible? As you survey this chapter very carefully, church, you see what the people as a team were able to accomplish and how. 
So the outcome of this organized teamwork, as you read through chapter 3, is amazing. The construction of the wall and the gates in 52 days was an incredible accomplishment. The entire community was mobilized and was led to work harmoniously and simultaneously on all parts of the city wall, which was divided into more than 40 sections. Now, one commentator put it this way. The narrative shows that the entire workforce demonstrated an unquenchable dedication and an ardent enthusiasm as they strained feverishly to complete the task or the scope. So it's important as we start this study, or as we look at chapter 3, we should understand the scope. Let us see the layout of the walls and gates built by the people. I don't know how, how you can see from there. I hope you can. Now, what do you take from this chapter? There are preachers who have allegorized the gates in the chapter, assigning a spiritual meaning to each one. They say that the sheep gate refers to Christ, the good shepherd where the Christian life must begin. They say the fish gate refers to Christ calling us to be fishers of men. They say the old gate means that we should reject all the modern or novel ideas and get back to the old paths. But what does God want us to learn from this? I believe that it is here to show us, you and me, the importance of working together to accomplish God's purposes. As you skim through the pages of the scripture, you will see biblical examples of teamwork. You see, Noah was asked to build an ark. God did not leave him alone. There were more than eight people who helped Noah to build the ark. God gave Moses people like Joshua and Caleb and Aaron to share the, Lord of, Lord, uh, the leadership. And God gave Ezra the, 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 the dream to lead the Israelites to rebuild the nation after the Babylonian captivity. But Ezra gathered leaders from Israel to go with him. And here in Nehemiah, we see that he gathers a team to build the wall. Jesus built one of the famous teams of all, the 12 disciples, to change the world. So it is, church, through teamwork, many great things were achieved. So what does God want us to learn from this chapter 3? I believe God wants every believer who are seated here watching online to become committed players of the team and not to be curious spectators. So as we study this chapter carefully, we will identify three elements that are either explicit, meaning they are very open and obvious, or implicit, that implied or hidden in the text. So here's the big picture. Let me give you the big picture as I break it down. To accomplish God's purposes, we need three things. There must be a common vision. Everybody say common vision. In this case, the common vision is to rebuild the wall. 
And there must be dedicated leaders. Everybody say dedicated leaders. Who will really understand and will instill that vision. And there must be willing workers. Everybody say willing workers. Who will be active players and not curious spectators. If you really break that chapter as as Brother Bruno was reading it, honestly, it was very difficult to read because you cannot pronounce those names. I really didn't want to baptize them with different names. That's why I chose not to go through these names. But if you, you can break it down, it's very simple. The verses 1 to 5, it talks about the work on the north wall, as you look at this here. That's a sheep gate and the fish gate, if you look at the picture. Verses 6 to 12 talks about the work on the west wall. Then 13 to 14 talks about the work on the south wall. 15 to 27 verses talks about the work on the southeast wall. And the last few verses talks about the work on the northeast wall. The gates were very descriptive of the city life. Now Nehemiah names them in a counterclockwise beginning with the sheep gate on the northeast side. You can see that. And let me show it to you on If you look at verse number one, he starts there. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brother and the priest and built the sheep gate. He starts with the sheep gate, and you can see he goes all the way around in the anticlockwise direction. And last verse, and between the upper room at the corner as far as the sheep gate, meaning it closed the loop of the building. So Nehemiah really takes us on a tour of the work and introduces us to the repair of each section of the world. work. Can you imagine what would have happened if instead of putting their hands and working, all these workers gathered together and they started talking about the building. They started writing books about the building. They started critiquing Nehemiah's proposal of the building. They started forming various committees to investigate every part of the building. And they discussed at length of the disadvantages and the disadvantage of the building. And they began to meet and pray diligently about the building. But church, when you know that the architect is the Lord, their duty is to simply implement. Everybody say the word implement. So we are just called to comply, not to complain. Saying and doing are two, often two separate things. Many people, and trust me, in my 30 years ministry I've come across, who will join with you and say, let us rise up and build. But they stay, they sit still and do nothing. One pastor asked this question. Listen carefully. What good is it to be concerned? What good is it to be broken? What good is it to fast and pray? What good is it to survey the ruins? What good is it to even draw plans if you're not going to build? So we need to understand one thing very clearly, church. Who is the architect of this church, of the house of God? We look at it in Ephesians chapter Chapter 4, verse 16, from whom? Who is this whom? Christ. From whom the whole body joined, knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and read the next part with me, causes growth 
of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Church is the plan of God as every part does its share diligently. That is, every one of you and me included, we do our part religiously. It will cause the growth of the body. So when you know the architect is the Lord, what is my role? What is your role? Again, Paul is very clear when he wrote to the uh, um, saints in Ephesus. He says, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship. That's who we are. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not the planners of the church. We are not the architect. He is. We are the workmen to do the work which God prepared beforehand. We are called to comply, church, and not to complain. We are called to play and not to be spectators. So in chapter 2, we saw last week how the people from the priest to others were genuinely grateful to God for the fact that the wall was being built. And that's what, what, what did they say at the end? Let us rise up and build. Right? That's what they said. And the narrative in chapter 3 starts with this. In verse number, uh, verse number 1 in chapter 3, it, the narrative in chapter 3, watch very carefully, is deliberately begins with whose activity? Activity of the priests. The priests were not supervising. They led by example. They rose up with his brethren. You can see in this passage, uh, the Eliashib, the, the high priest, is rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. So they apparently commenced the work at the sheep gate. So it starts with the leadership. The leadership is enough of talking. We need to be walking. If you really want the church to grow, Everything starts with the leadership, servant leadership. We need to set an example to the members. We need to be putting our hands and feet to work first so that others will follow. We need to be walking the walk. So let me ask you and me a question. See, uh, church, it starts with me as the shepherd. I agree. And then to all who are leading one ministry or the other, how are we leading others by our walk? How? The way we manage our life, our families, our work. The way we involve in the activities of the church. The way we lead prayers and Bible study. The way we conduct ourselves in the presence of others. When others see you, they should know what SEF is all about. When others see you, they should know the values, the principles, the doctrine and the practices on which the church is built. Let's dive into the study today. So as I said earlier, the lessons we see to accomplish God's purpose, we need a common vision, we need dedicated leaders, and we need willing workers. So my first point is that to accomplish God's purpose, we need a, a common vision for the task. You can't work together if everyone has different notion of what you are trying to accomplish. If one man has thought the purpose was to build an auditorium, and another man thinks that the purpose is to build a gymnasium. You know, it's going to look ridiculous. 
you're not going to achieve the end results. They needed to agree on a common vision so that they could work together harmoniously. Now, church, if you look at, I know that we, we like jigsaw puzzle. For us to place the piece, we need to understand the big picture, isn't it? Every one of you had worked on jigsaw puzzles. What is the first thing that you do? You see the finished picture, and then you see where you should place the pieces. Now, in the case of Nehemiah and his team, their task was specific and measurable to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But when you look at the church, the task is not so easily attained. Our task is to see great commission fulfilled by proclaiming the gospel to every people group on the earth. The task requires reaching out to every people group with the gospel and to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, Matthew 28, 20. So the supreme goal of God's purpose through this church in Mississauga on Carmen Drive is that he would be glorified, that his name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. So our vision, church, as we looked at our very first Sunday, I want us to get it very clearly that this facility is disciple-making disciples, reaching out to people. This church will be a replica of what is yet to come when we all go to heaven, the new Jerusalem. I showed this passage to you before, and I'm going to show it to you again because this is, a, this is what you see in heaven. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. This is how this house of God should look like. This is the blueprint of heaven. This, is the this should be the blueprint of this church. What we want to achieve. What is our common vision is this. SCF must be a prototype of what heaven would be, a house comprising of people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. This church is our vision. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It will happen as His people find their sufficiency and joy in Jesus Christ. So our goal is, church, every one of your goals, is spread a passion for God's glory among the various people group. Not a single group that comes across our path should be exempted. There's a reason why God allows us to come across people. And by proclaiming the gospel and by helping all His saints to do what? To delight in Jesus Christ as their greatest joy and treasure. What is your greatest joy and treasure? Is it the food that you eat? Is it the car that you drive? Is it the job that you're holding? Is it the house that you're living in? The greatest joy, Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So everything we do in this church should be done with that vision in mind. So that is my first point from this passage. We need to have a common vision to spread a passion for God's glory among the various people group of our nation. 
to helping all his saints to delight in Jesus Christ as their greatest joy and treasure. Secondly, my second point was that we need to have dedicated leaders. Everybody say dedicated leaders. So God accomplishes purposes through people, but people need leaders to motivate and organize them for the cause. The people listed in Nehemiah 3 had been living there for years. All these people. But the wall didn't get built until God raised Nehemiah to lead the change. People were the same, but the leader was different. Isn't it? So, firstly, if you want to be a dedicated leader, and your leaders, I want you to make a big note of this, a servant leader does not seek worldly recognition. I know we don't like that, isn't it? Nehemiah didn't want a huge sign over the main gate or a bronze plaque reading the Nehemiah memorial wall. Nehemiah was committed to the task. He wanted the wall to be built so that God's name would be exalted in Jerusalem and his people would no longer be a reproach. It is interesting, church, as you read through Nehemiah 3, he never mentioned his name there. There is one Nehemiah quoted in verse 16. That is a different Nehemiah according to a commentator. So his labor is behind the whole chapter. You don't seek worldly recognition. Nehemiah knew that God would recognize his efforts. All that Nehemiah was desiring is not an applaud from the congregation or the people that he's serving is just for him to hear when he goes to, in the presence of the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So he was laboring to hear well done from the Lord. See, when Nehemiah closes this, this book, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 31. Look at it on the screen. The very last thing he says, Nehemiah, when he finishes his narrative. Remember me, oh my God, for good. You know, church, I tell you, that is my desire. I am not looking for applause from people. I am not looking for recognition from anybody. All I want is as I leave this world and I stand in the presence of the Lord, the Lord should look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we need the recognition to come from the Lord. Sadly, we Christians who seek self-recognition applaud for the little we do. I know we have been doing missions work in Sri Lanka for a long time now, since 2005. Never for a moment we asked to put our names up there because I said, I don't want us to be known. We're doing it for the Lord. But when I was there in the mission field, I had complaints from the recipients, the people who have benefited. They say people will come from different parts of the world, they'll give you a few hundred dollars, and they will say, can you put a plug there to say we gave you hundred dollars. Like the parable of the poor old woman who dropped two pennies 
the parable that the Lord spoke. It is not what you give or what you do that counts in the sight of God. It is with what attitude that you give that counts. Hear what the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount because he sees, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, sorry, but when you do a charitable deed, let your left hand not left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So the first thing for a dedicated leader is that you do not seek worldly recognition. The second thing as a dedicated leader that you need, you should be able to delegate the tasks. Because Nehemiah couldn't have done all this work by himself. He had to entrust it to workers and gave them the authority to get the job done. It's called delegation. Church delegation involved motivating the people. If you look at this narrative, you see that the Jews had been back in the land for 90 years, but the wall hadn't been built. And then Nehemiah came along and got everyone excited about the idea. They went to work and put up the wall in record time in spite of the opposition. The difficult thing about motivating a group of people is that what motivates some turns off others. It can be exciting for a group of people here, and the, another group of people will oppose it. And Nehemiah felt the same thing. Look at this passage, verse number 5. Next to them, the tachoids made repairs. And look at the next one. But the nobles did not put their shoulders to work, to the work of the Lord. The nobles, the big guys. The priests work on the sheep gate where the people would bring sacrifices to the temples. What Nehemiah did was they were, he was able to assign the portion of work that every people group had some interest in. That's how he delegated it. That's why the priests work on the sheep gate. Because that is the gate through which people bring sacrifices to the temple. And other repairs, you can read later on when you go home, if you, if you need to go through this passage, you can read it again. Others repaired the wall in front of their own homes. There is a motivation. So they had personal incentive to do a good job. So as a leader, we should know what we are assigning to whom. He has a great example and of delegation from the Lord. In Luke chapter 10, we see that the Lord record, Luke chapter 10 records the sending out of 70 itinerant preachers. After the Lord gave them detailed instruction, he sent them to preach. Though these messengers were inexperienced and far less capable than the master, their ministry was blessed. Because later on in the book of Acts that we see that they turned the world upside down. The ministry. So it involves delegation. And not only delegation, there must be oversight and recognition. So delegating does not mean you dump the things on somebody or dictate somebody what to do. Now dumping on something is someone walk away is not effective leadership. But at the same time, on the other hand, to dictate every detail is not to delegate with proper freedom. 
I know I've been in the business world for a number of years. One of the things I always tell my staff is that the principle we should add up is my own version is Niho principle. I was wondering what Niho means. Is nose in, hands out. That's what it means. Nose in and hands out. We must know the why and not the how. When Nehemiah delegated the work, you can be sure that he went around inspecting the progress, talking to his leaders, helping them keep things moving toward the goal. You know, when he came to this church and we do a lot of work here, I was able to delegate matters to the experts. I know why they are doing it. I was not looking at how they are doing it. Get the job done. A great example that you see, Nehemiah notes every detail in verse number 20. We see here, after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other sections from the buttress of the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. How does Nehemiah know that this, this Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired unless he has observed it? How do you know it? He knew not only he was doing that and how he was doing it. Baruch did an exceptional job. So when we give oversight, we should be able to balance what we are giving and also to acknowledge what people are doing. Nehemiah was fully aware of those who were really working hard. I'm sure Nehemiah wrote down in detail who was doing what portion on this project. I can't imagine him remembering all these things. I mean, he might know the names for sure. We are having difficulty understanding the names. I mean, I'm sure he would have known the names. But to have all these details, he must have written it down somewhere. But some are mentioned, listen carefully on this passage, even though it looks very like a jambalaya as you read through chapter 3, it's hard to understand sometimes, but as you really dive in, you see some, some nuggets there. Now see, I mean, Nehemiah has acknowledged where people have done more than one section of the wall. Look at this. Verses 4 and verses, verses um, 21. And next to Meramoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Cos, made repairs. And verse 21 again, the same name appears again, isn't it? For a different repair, another section. The point I'm trying to drive at church is that Nehemiah took note of the people who are doing double portion of work. And, and you see another one there. In verse number 5 and verse number 27. 27, after them, Tekois repaired another section. Taking notes, writing down. Church, the important thing is that Nehemiah recognized every worker. That is not important. What's important is that God recognized every worker. God recognized them by including their names in the scriptures. For that name to appear in the Holy Bible, God must have recognized them, isn't it? Church, many a times the church or the leaders may not recognize what you do behind the scene. But I want you to know the omniscient God observes and every move and every motives behind it because that's what the proverb says here. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines every motive, all your motives, why you are doing what you are doing. There will be some who will, put, uh, who will not put their hands to work. There will always be spectators and armchair critics. 
the leader should waste no time with them. And we saw that in verse number 5 about the nobles who refused to put their work. Nehemiah mentions in passing the nobles of Tekoya, they refused to join the project perhaps out of petty pride. Who knows? I'm a big shot. I'm not going to come and build this wall. To their shame, the people of Tekoya, as you read this passage later on, go home and read it, verse number 9 and 12, they built two sections of the wall. And some nobles from other towns rolled up their sleeves and went to work. So Nehemiah didn't expend any energy on the nobles of Tekoya, rather he worked with the many willing workers. Those who didn't get involved were the losers in the long run. So church, so far we looked at two points. To accomplish God's purpose, we need a common vision and we need dedicated leaders. And finally, finally as we move forward. So it begs the question, why aren't the pastors dedicating work? Why are they burnt out? Good question, isn't it? The question is, to whom can we delegate the work? Now the rubber hits the road. Listen, church. To accomplish God's purpose, we need willing workers who do their part. We need willing workers. The people heard Nehemiah's vision and they responded, yes, let's arise and build. Working together, they have accomplished what no one could have accomplished individually. So there are three things that we learn about the workers. Number one, the willing workers would cooperate and coordinate with one another. While some worked in front of their own homes, many others came from outlying cities to help. You can read it in, in detail. As the project was through, they returned home without any daily personal benefit. Trust me, when they left their project, they were not given any dollars. Good job. Here's the dollar for you. Perhaps they could dwell more securely. That was the benefit that they had. They would have enjoyed knowing that the temple was secure behind the wall. But beyond personal benefits, they were willing to work for the overall cause. That the name of the Lord and his people would no longer be a reproach among the nations. In a secular world, I know most of you work in secular world, we have a contractual relationship. We are told what to do, and you are told what's in it for you in perks and dollars. Yes or no? That's what it is. Because when you go to work, everybody is, what's in it for me? That's the question that you always ask. In the church, it's different. This is a voluntary position. You do it not because you have to, church. You do it because you want to. So also they coordinated the project so that all part fits together. Each person knew what task and was and did it because you see there was a harmony in which they executed the task. 
it would not have worked if one guy started to build independent of the other guy. There must be a lot of coordination. I know that most of you play with the Lego sets at home with your kids. There must be coordination. Only one piece can go with another piece. And we saw the plan of the wall. There must be a lot of coordination as you put this together. In church, it is not enough to have a bunch of independent ministries alongside each other. We should work together in supporting the overall cause of Christ. Because church, every ministry, whether it is a Sunday school ministry or caring ministry, men's, women's missions, whatever that you may, everything stems from one vision and the vision of the church. That's why it must be coordinated. So the first point we looked at, that the, that the willing workers should cooperate and coordinate. The second point we look at is the willing workers, to, they must be willing to work outside of their areas of strength. Look at this one, the very first verse that we looked at. The priests, including the high priest, got involved in what? Preaching? Teaching? No! The Bible says, verse number one, they got together in building the sheep gate and a portion of the wall. You can be rest assured that they did not learn how to do that in the seminary. Maybe they had to get some training on how to build and hang a gate from some of the men who are experienced. And we'll see in verse number nine, look at this, verse number nine, <coughs> excuse me, and next to them, Raphael, the son of her, the leader of half the city of Jerusalem, made repairs. Some of the city officials rolled up their sleeves and joined their people. They didn't view manual labor as beneath their dignity. Why? Because it is building the kingdom of God. Some of the workers were goldsmiths and perfume makers. Look at this passage. Verse number 8. Next to him, Jezebel, the son of Hahiah, God bless me as I read these names, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. They weren't used to this kind of labor. They probably had I'm sure they had aches and pains in their muscles when they finished. But they joined gladly. Look at verse number 12. The leaders. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of the half district of Jerusalem. Another political leader. What did he do? He and his who? Daughters made repairs. Not him alone. The daughters came and helped him. Wow. There is no pride over your position. I am the senior pastor. I am the elder. I am the board of directors. I am, I am this, that, and the other. No, not in the house of God. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. Sometimes people will say, I'm not going to work on a cleanup crew because that's not my spiritual gift. Pastor, I cannot wash the toilet because that's not my spiritual gift. I cannot sweep the floor because that's not my spiritual gift. 
Your spiritual gift should help you know where to concentrate your efforts. But there are many jobs where we are called to pitch in, whether it's our gift or not. The point of Nehemiah 3 is that everyone got involved. You know, church, the New Testament is very clear. There'll come a day that we'll have to give account for everything that we have done. The danger that we have in one talent Christian, they'll always think that his part is insignificant and he won't use it for the master. So I want to ask you a question. There might be teachers, there might be uh, accountants, there might be IT professionals in this room watching online. What do you do at home? Do you tell your children that I am a teacher, I can only teach in the house? And you say, I'm an IT professional, I'll, I'll fix your computers, but I'm not going to do anything else in the house. Your dad might say, I'm an accountant, I'm going to look at the numbers, I can't give you a ride. We don't have food to eat in the house. We don't have bills to pay. Why is it we don't do it at home? Have you ever thought about that? No father, no mother would limit the responsibility within the household. You step up as the demand arises. If, God forbid, if your toilet is overflowing, you will not stand there and say, I'm a teacher, I'm not going to touch this. If your outside driveway is filled with snow, you're not going to say, I'm an accountant, I don't do this job. It's your house, you step up and do it. Church, how much more you should do in the house of God? So lastly, a willing worker, go to the last point, is that he's willing to do less glamorous or, or desirable jobs. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 40 says, Malkijah, the son of Rahab, the leader of the district of Beth Hasarim. Again, he's the leader. Repaired what? The refuse gate. Another term is the dung gate. It was at the south of the city and opened for Hidron Valley where the people brought all trash to burn. Now, if this is the same person, in verse number 31, it describes him as the goldsmith. So he was a goldsmith by trade. He was also a leader of the district of Beth Hazarem, and he helped build the dung gate, the refuse gate. There were probably a lot more volunteers to repair the fountain gate and the sheep gate than there were for the refuse gate. But this guy realized that the job needed to get done and he was willing to do it for that cause. How about you? Church, wherever that you are called to do, whatever you do, Paul says in Colossians, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. By your diligent service, no matter how small or insignificant, Christ is glorified when you do that work as unto Him. Church, as believers, we don't live 
in an isolated little bubbles. We don't live in glass houses of individualism. We are intertwined as one body. No matter who you are and where you are, your life has an influence on others. So as I close this chapter, let me ask you the same question again. Are you a spectator or a player in the house of God? So we looked at three points. Being focused on the common vision. And our vision is going to be building this house of God. As a house for interracial, intercultural inter group. If you are in ministry, you are called to be a dedicated player who would not seek worldly recognition. Do not expect any recognition from the church, from the leaders. And you should be able to provide motivation and oversight and recognition to those who are, whom you work with. But if you are a member not in leadership, you are called to be a willing worker who would cooperate and coordinate, who would work outside the area of, of your strength and do menial tasks. So that's the first point that I said. Need a common vision. We need dedicated leaders who do not seek worldly recognition and provide motivation, oversight, and recognition. And the last one we said, we looked at, we need willing workers who are willing to cooperate and coordinate, who are willing to work outside the area of their strength, who are willing to do menial tasks.